Good evening, everybody, and welcome to an evening edition of Coffee Chat here on Adventures with Sarah. And tonight we have a very special guest who, let's see, I have had in the past year and a half since the pandemic started, I have had people who have married princes. I have had people who are chefs and scientists and all kinds of interesting people. I know so many interesting people, but I have to tell you, this is probably the most interesting person I know. Did you know that? You are probably the most interesting person I know. So joining me from Cambodia tonight is my friend, we call him Ken, but that's not your name, is it? You, you pronounce your name because I'm going to butcher it. Yeah, it's close. It's close enough. Ken. <laughs> Ken. <laughs> So um, we met in Cambodia probably six years ago, five, six years ago, something like that. And he is my local guide uh, at the temples of Angkor Wat and uh, all around Cambodia. And we have been kind of plotting the idea of doing a Cambodia tour, which we are planning to do. And at this point, it's going to have to be 2023. Uh, but it really is a country that has a soft spot in my heart for sure. And uh, I think that having a great guide is the reason. So uh, tell me a little bit about what's going on in Cambodia these days. Well, it's been really quiet since the COVID-19 affected. And well, sadly, you know, a bunch of people die every day. So the uh, the business fell, all the business fell. And well, this is something that I would not expect to see. I mean, we had problems in the past. Um, remember 2002 from the SARS, the flu? 2002, but it was not this long. And it lasted about a year, then the people came back again to see Angle One. And now um, the COVID-19 is a different case. So it's been almost two years now and still no answers when it's going to stop. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, watching people here with, with our job. That's really, it's really sad. Yeah. And really, you know, when I, I came out to the temple complex and well, almost 20 years of doing the, the guiding and watching, you know, people from all over the world, walking back and forth around the different places, around the park. But nowadays, none, not even the local people. So it, yeah. It, it, it's it feels so sad. I mean, to sit there and and you just feels like you sit there alone, and you want to share it with everyone, and you want them to come back again. So I I came back there again and again. So it's I guess it's thirty times already, but still quiet. And I ask myself when it's gonna stop, when people's eyes coming back again. So I still don't know. So but is, the, I just, country, is yeah. the country closed to any anybody? It's closed completely right now? Well, it's open up, it's open up, but it's just hard for people to get here. The flights and people are still scared to be here. Ah, okay. And the government now is uh, doing their best to vaccinate the people and all the Cambodian people. I think uh, we vaccinated uh, uh, 10 million people already. Wow. Uh, so it's over half of the population. And you told me this morning that um, you have been vaccinated three times. So which vaccine is that? 
uh, Sinovac, and so the Chinese, um, the Chinese uh, uh, vaccination, I, I did put, uh, twice. And then the last one uh, yesterday was uh, AstraZeneca. Um, I think it, it's, it's the British, right? British. Yeah, yeah. but the third one has suffered a lot. I yeah. don't know why. <laughs> Not just yeah. me, but everyone. everyone. Well, the second one that I got, I got Pfizer. And the second one that I got, uh, I got really, really sick. I was sick for like two days, really sick. So yeah, I think it happens. It means your immune system is working. That's what they say. <laughs> it, means, it means I'm getting old. <laughs> oh, stop. You're younger than me. You're not allowed to get old. <laughs> now it cannot handle the vaccination. So. Yeah. Well, you know, we do what we have to do. I'm glad to hear Cambodia is actually open, though, because I'm planning to come and see you in like February. So I'm hoping that at least we'll get to do that. We'll see. But uh, crossing my fingers and my toes, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I wish to, you know, to come back here again. I wish to see you again. Yeah. yeah. And I wish everyone again. Yeah. Well, well, we're getting there. Piano, piano, as we say in Italian. We're taking our time. We're getting back. Um, so you have such an interesting life story and, you know, I've heard your story and I mean, people who've traveled with me have as well. Um, but, but just to kind of rewind a little bit, like, I mean, I don't even know where to start with your story because you are so interesting <laughs> and you've got so many stories. Um, but the first thing you said you hadn't spoken English in two years, but you speak such amazing English. And I remember how you learned, but why don't you tell the story of how you learned English? Because it's pretty cool. I I started with the uh, uh, some of the Westerners who live and work in Cambodia. So I work in I work in a guest house, and I remember I had an old motorcycle, and so they came to me and said, hey, "Could you take us to the temple?" Uh, I, I don't know what they said. So, but they point out on the map. And go on, so I draw them there, and so I, I pick up um, English one by one, you know, and a word every day. This is how I learn. How old were you when you started doing that? Because you started working, I remember you said in a guest house that was owned by a Belgian, is that right? Yeah, Belgium. So he, he, he was the owner of the guest house. So he gave me a room and, you know, a room to sleep and a job. Uh, but a lot of works to do that time. So we had only two and one, uh, so it was me and, 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 and a boy around the same, around the same age. Um, yeah, so it was, it was a really tough time, but it gave me a lot of life experiences and the, and English, especially. Yeah, so well, I mean. I, yeah, never had a dream of, learning this or doing the uh the guiding you know the guiding tour that was not my dream well what was your dream i grew up in the times of the war so watching people die and people killing each other that was common at the time people carry gun around and shot and the yeah, person die in a second so um, or the bomb drop and people dies and injured. And so I had a dream to be a doctor. 
so that I could help uh, my people. But it never came. So I, I became a tour guide. <laughs> Yeah, but you're doing important work because a lot of the stories you tell when you're with me are about the war and about your how you came to exist and about the Pol Pot regime and all of the atrocities in Cambodia. But what I think is always really wonderful about the way you talk about it is you talk about it and you make us laugh. <laughs> and I've always felt so like such a terrible person when you're talking about, you know, extermination camps or whatever. And we're laughing because you're so funny, but it's terrible. But it's it's one of these things where it's almost like the best way to approach such a terrible subject is to laugh, isn't it? I I like to talk a lot about you know my personal experiences, my 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 life and so whatever I I have gone through in my life and well, all the cruel things happen in Cambodia. So I have a, you know, my idea, I don't want this happen again, either in Cambodia or anywhere around the world. And I had a really bad feeling yesterday after watching the news, you know, what happened in Taliban, the Taliban troops came into the city and the people fled. Uh, left their homes and kids running around. So it it reminds me about the situation happens in Cambodia when I was a child. Exactly the same thing. And with scares and the, the, the mother, you know, ran around and, you know, she rather stay. And as long as her kids could leave country, could leave to a better place, you know. It, it's so sad. It's really sad. You know? yeah. Sometimes when we talk about it, and you know, you hear it a thousand times, it's not enough to describe uh, the the feeling, the the feeling of of, of, of this. Um, yeah. And I don't feel bad at all. I mean, uh, watching people live in a better life, I'm I'm happy for them. I'm not jealous with them. But that that's what I want. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine how that must feel very personal to watch that kind of thing happen. Um and because yeah. it is something similar to what happened to you. So um yeah, I don't like I said, I don't even know where to begin with with so many stories because you've told so many stories that have just they've been heartbreaking, but they're also so important. And you know, you say, Oh, I wish I would have been a doctor, but actually the way that you share the story of your country is so important. It's so important because I mean, somebody like me who's grown up in the United States, like I don't see that kind of thing. I don't, I don't understand it. And so when I talk to you and you tell me these stories, it's just, it really makes you, I don't know, just, it opens up your mind to what's going on in the world. You know, I think so many of us live in our comfy houses, not thinking about other people. And that's, it's important. It's important that you do, what you do is important. So I've always just loved coming in and listening to your stories because I always hear something new and you've got so many, uh, I don't know. So, ugh, like I, I'm almost at a loss. I don't even know where to start asking you to talk about whatever. So why don't we just start talking about the thing that you like the best, which is Anchor Watt. So tell me a little bit about the first time you started guiding there, because I imagine when you were guiding there, there weren't a whole lot of people, tourists that were taking tours there, right? 
Yeah, the, I was just a boy at the time. And the, the, uh, I was not ready yet that day. I was not ready. So the, someone from the government came to me and asked me to do the job. So when I came on the bus, it was full of people looking at me. And I was not confident with my, I guess, 300, 300, 400 words of English. That's all I knew. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? I don't know how to talk to them. And I'm, I'm so scared when people all look at me and, and I don't want to talk. If they talk, I will not understand. For sure, I will not understand. I don't know how to answer them. Yes, but it did. So I turned around and <laughs> I, I don't know, they asked about whatever. I, I had no idea at that time. So all I could say to them, now we going to Angkor Wat, that's it. And so when we arrived there by the entrance, by the gate of the, the building and I, I point out where they should go. And so some of them came and talked to me. I understand they, they want me to show them around, but that was my beyond ability. So, yeah, they just point out and set the meeting, the meeting point uh, up to two hours or three hours. But with my poor English, they did not understand at all. So after two hours or three hours, they never came back. To <laughs> It was not easy. And if you look into the size of the building, you can spend the entire day just to walk around there. And to find 15, 20 people in there, it it was just like a game, you know, the kids played, uh, what do you call it? Uh, seek and hide. Hide and seek, yeah. Yeah, it's like that. Uh, you know, you don't know you don't know where they were. So you collect one and ask them to go there, wait, and then you go again and you find one, you find two, you find three. And or in my mind, I you know, I I was so terrified the bad thing would happen to them because it was not completely safe to go around there at that time. Yeah, and I wanted to go with them, but I don't know how to talk to them. So you just don't know what to do. I try to be nice, smile and you know, uh, stay close to them. And, you know, when you see someone that uh, in the group looks terrified, so you try to be close to them and but forget about the others. So you only have one choice. This is how I started. But I was so lucky that I met so many nice people on the tour. They taught me, you know, a new word a new behavior and all the, you know, polite words uh, I have to say, 
because you learn from you're not from school so you don't know is is it a polite word instead of saying would you please and you say something else so i don't know it's it's not polite i don't i don't i don't even know but yeah so then the correct you should say this is is more polite and here king today i teach you a new word okay so then okay remember yes new word yes yes yeah yes like wc when a lady came to me you remember the story the lady came to me and asked where is the wc i had no idea what it is until someone came king she means she wants to go to toilet okay toilet i know yeah but wc no <laughs> Anyone knew it. Yeah. And yeah, after I would say seven years, seven, eight years, yes, I totally changed. I became more like not a very professional, but I could do it, I could do it better. Yeah. Uh, I can answer, I can, I could answer most of the questions. I could show them around. I know what it was, WC. <laughs> yeah, they, and I made people laugh. And I stopped seeing the feeling of the um, disappointed of people. Not, it was not like the first tour, the first tour, second tour, and uh, you know, the people looked very disappointed. And on the first day and the second day, usually the first day, they're very disappointed and, 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 and angry, really angry, some of them. But on the next day, they would come back to me again and apologize because when they walk around the city, no one spoke English. Ah, uh, yep. So they they realized I was kind of better than all all the rest of people. Yeah, at that time in Cambodia, there weren't a whole lot of of Cambodians that spoke English, right? Yeah, when you look at the people, I want I wanted to say I wanted to say to them that. Um, we started from the scratch. We lost everything. Um, Thirty years, the civil war last, and especially, you know, nineteen seventy-five and seventy-nine, we we completely lost um, all the documents and educated people, all the professors and doctors, and so we, we lost them. Uh, we started from a zero point. Um. Yeah, you wanted to explain to people to understand and make them feel better. But you just can't. Yeah. Just can't. Well, and Cambodia, just for the people who are watching who maybe don't know, uh, Cambodia was a very um, sophisticated country, you could say, in Southeast Asia in before the Civil War, right? Yeah. So they One, um, right, you know, the uh, thousand years ago, let's say back in the day, uh, when I go, what was built? Yeah. So they, uh, people were amazing people, amazing cultures and and architect architectures, and it explained already. You know, when you go in there and go out and 
uh, Uncle Tom and all the rest of the monuments, the skill, the amounts of work, the people yeah. must have been um, a really tough workers and well-educated, you know, the guys who designed the master plan of the building control all the, the numbers of the workers. And when you look at every single piece of stone, the sandstone, how heavy it is. And, and, and it came from, you know, when you realize it came from 52 kilometers away, how could they, these people with empty hand brought all this, you know, massive block of stone from there. Yeah. yeah, well, and just to put it sort of in a timeline for people who don't know the history of Cambodia, Cambodia actually was an incredible society, the Khmer, during, let's say, our early Renaissance era. So let's say 1200 to 1500-ish. This was an enormous civilization. Like how many people lived in Angkor Wat? It was something insane, wasn't it? Well, let me, okay, the city itself, um, the city of Angkor, yeah. it's a city. Yeah. I give you an idea. It's about three times uh, larger than the city of Europe at that time. Yeah. Uh, London, Paris. Yes. And this so it's is three the, times. Three times larger. And I mean, this is the thing that the, I think blows people away when they go to Cambodia. Because some a lot of people they ask me, why are you so interested in Cambodia? What's there? I mean, the only reference point I think a lot of Americans may have is from the, the war uh, in the 1970s. But actually, it is one of the, the great things to see in the world. I mean, if you're going to go and see something in this world, this is up there with the pyramids, in my opinion. I mean, it's one of the most incredible monuments to human ingenuity, I think, that you can see and also just for people who are watching that don't know it's not just one temple it's like a city right i mean how many are there total in the anchor complex temples in a, in a around the areas um is 246 temples <laughs> wow. 246 temples just in the city ankle and all over cambodia uh now is yeah, 1,049 temples, so a lot of temples. <laughs> um, Cambodia is fascinating, you know, it, it, it's really, it's really fascinating, you know, uh, uh, the histories of the country itself, how it started, um, the 1200 and the 1300, uh, they, that's when civilizations and building all the temple complex and then it kind of uh, it came up to the very top and then it fell into the civil wars and you know again and again again and again and and the last one was the worst yeah. and then to the, the bottom the very bottom and then we started again until today so um that's what i always talk to people when they ask how could you start it when you lost everything? You lost everything. You, you know, when after they listen to the, the histories and you know what I talk, what I said, we lost all the doctor, we lost all the professors and, and whoever. Well, you we had to work together. You had to work together. Yep. I remember after the genocide, we work as a team. 
and 20 families and 30 families work in one group and we grow rice together and we share weed. So this is how we started. And a, a, a person who knew a little bit had to teach a person who knew nothing. Wow. Well, the other thing I feel that's really important about Cambodia is just the kindness of people and the spirit of Cambodian people. It's just, there's a lightness about everybody I've met, just a, such an incredible kindness. And I think for some Americans, especially older ones who had an interaction with the Vietnam War and the war in Southeast Asia may feel well, maybe Cambodia wouldn't be welcoming, but it has been the exact opposite. I mean, I feel like I've always been very, very welcome in Cambodia. So the attitude towards Americans, what do you think it is there? What is your impression? I, well, I would say the earlier, the earlier generation, they, um, they still remember what happened to them and their family during the war, the bombings and things. So they, yeah, with the U.S., but the difference is they 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 blame on the U.S. government, but not the people. That's a different story. Yeah, yeah, and I appreciate this. You know, you, they don't take it as personal. Yeah, yeah. I, I, me too. I don't, I don't, I don't take it as personal. So it's the bombings and and, and killings. It's it's from the the government. It's not from the people in the U.S. Yeah, uh, they even protested at that time against uh, the bombings in Vietnam and Cambodia, but it didn't work. Yeah, and it was wrong, and some of them were shot dead in the U.S. during the protestings. Yeah. So it everywhere is the same in the world, and people, you know, you have good people, bad people, and it all comes together, black and white. So it, yeah. you can't blame on everyone. Yeah, yeah. one of them, the, there have been so many things that you and I've done together that were just so memorable. And I've, I've learned so much from you. But one of the things I remember that we did that meant a lot to me was you took us to a little village. And Luca, my son, was with me at the time. And he remembers it so well. And I remember it too, because we stopped to buy honey, I think it was, at this little tiny village. And you just got everybody off the bus. You took everybody into this village that was really huts. I mean, not houses at all, just really traditional houses. They had a communal kitchen that was really just sort of like a shelter, not really a kitchen. And there were chickens walking around. And, and it was, I mean, it, it was gorgeous, like beautiful, visually stunning, just the way people lived in such a traditional way. But what was really interesting about that, I love that you just spontaneously did that. You just were like, let's go visit this village. Let's meet these people. And you translated for us and we got to interact with people. But what I loved especially was getting back on the bus after that. And my son looked at me and he goes, they don't have electricity. And I said, no. He's like, they don't have like Xboxes or TV. And I said, no. And he goes, but they seem really happy. <laughs> And I just, I remember that so well, because I thought, what a great, what a great lesson, you know, to go and, and visit people who really have relatively, like, from material goods, less than what Americans might have, but actually have more in a certain sense. Yeah, we, we have a lot of people that, you know, they, they enjoy their life, they appreciate their life, and even they don't have, they don't have everything, but they enjoy whatever they have. 
So they they actually live in, in, in a peaceful life. It's better than millions of people in the city or yeah, a lot of places. So wake, wake up early in the morning and, and chase the chicken out and chicken has to be out to somewhere, find somewhere to eat, take the cows into the field and into the rice fields and look around the rice field if they're able to find some snails and some veggie and bring back home or little fish, put the traps, catch some fish, come back, cook, eat, then go out again to um, move the animal from a more place to place so that they can find grass to eat. And so, yeah. And so, and, and, and so these kinds of people, you know, when you look into the village, they know everyone in the village. They know each other. They just walk and yeah, there's no gate in between. You just walk across from one family from one house to the others. Yeah, so it feels like, wow, in a city it's not like that. <laughs> we have fence no, around. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it feels to me like visiting a village in the Cambodian countryside is like going into a time machine because it, you, don't, you don't think people still live that kind of lifestyle, but they do. And they seem pretty comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> with it so so that's where i came from i grew up in, in, in these kinds of village and so even now i live in the city because my kids you know the school the school in the city but my my dream so when i get old definitely i'm going back there really it's it just a small dream so i'll make it for sure huh yeah so I've always thought you'd end up coming here to the U.S. <laughs> no. that, that would be a great shame for Cambodia because you're a national treasure. But yeah, I've always thought you'd come here eventually. <laughs> to visit, yes. But to live, no. Yeah. Uh, 19, uh, I had an opportunity to leave Cambodia for the U.S., but I gave up. I, I, I remember, yeah, I met an American man who works for the NGOs in Cambodia. So uh, his job was over after four years. And so we met, uh, we knew um, each other um, for many years. And then he asked whether I want to go to the US and start a new life there. And go to a better school in the US, but I said no. Um, and he gave me a day to think about it. And he believed it changed my mind. And I, I respond to him, I don't have to think, I'm not going. And he asked, why? You know, I can't leave all the people here. I can't leave my family. Um, because I don't know when I'm going to have time to be with them. You know, if I go to the U.S., by the time I come back, you know, they're, they're probably dead. And especially, we have gone through everything together. And we survived uh, during the tough time together. So you don't feel like you want to leave them. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, so I'd rather live in a simple life, but be with the nice people around. Yeah. If I go, I have to start everything all over again and don't get to know the people there. Everything is new, get lost. And yeah, I just don't know. Too so, that makes sense. But, you know, 
considering the the life that you had before that, I, you know, it would have been an easy out to go to the US. <laughs> so one of the interesting stories that that just blows me away is that you were basically a child soldier, right? Yeah, the uh, I was taken from school, and it's remind me of two worlds uh, before the COVID nineteen. Well, we were on the bus on the lake trip to to the floating village, and then there was a person on the bus pointing out, uh, uh, "Could we make a stop?" He spot a sign of the orphanage. We go in there, okay, but maybe just to see it from the outside. And so we stop there, and yeah, so they look into the orphanage and they ask King, Do you know anything about this orphanage and who ran this orphanage? And it, 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 it was an orphanage that I used to live. Wow. Um, I went to the school there. So it, yeah, I told them about the orphanage. I told them about the orphanage, so I used to live there. And so then finally, yeah, I met um, several people who still remember me. Uh, they, they, they're really old now. They, uh, they are over 70 years old, so almost 80 years old. And yeah, so we walk in there and they talk to them. And like, oh, you live here. Yes. But you weren't an orphan, I mean, you weren't an orphan in that your parents gave you up. No, uh, but the the thing is, uh, people dropped the kids in the orphanage so that they could um, study there, they could yeah. go to school there, and especially food. Uh -huh. So the women provided uh, food, so that consider a good place to be. And even you know we are not often. But you were taken there as a baby, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. And so I I was born during the genocide. Yeah. So there was no document about it, the, the document about, you know. And so we live in a camp, we live in the camps together. I was born and because during the regime, the people had to work, the people had to split up to prevent from any protesting or uprisings against the regime. Yeah. So there's the mother, the father, the kids, the grandfather, the grandmother to a different direction and work all together there. And I was born and so I was taken from my mother uh, into a camp with all the kids and the babies there. Um, so they, they gave a job to my grandmother to take care of all the all the babies and kids. So she recognized me. I was part of her family. So I guess I had a special care, a special care from my grandmother. I would say I feel my relationship between the mother and the grandmother, I would say grandmother a lot better than the mother because I, I love her since I was the baby. Yeah. And yeah, so then in 1979, the regimes collapsed. The regime, the communist regime was over. 
because the Vietnamese came into Cambodia and attacked them. So they all fled into Thailand, the, the communists fled into Thailand at the border. And so Cambodia fell into the, the Vietnamese control. So people could come back home to the home village to find a family member. So we all, we all had to run around, run around to a different destination to find a family member. So it took us years to meet all together the family member one by one. So a month or a year, that's someone from the family turn up. Okay, now we got one and we had to win again. And so the, we, we will find somewhere to sleep and then we'll walk again on the next day. That was, that was kind of crazy. You just don't know what to do. You had no plan. You had no, yeah, no idea what you what you what you were doing. And but we all we wanted that time was just to see all the family members. Yeah. In the beginning, because the communist people, they were good at doing this. Whatever they did, you never realize. Would you believe that we live in a communist regime for almost four years? A lot of people did not realize millions of people died. Would you believe it? No one believed it. Wow. And we could see the amount amounts of people died, which is a small number. And they would not shoot a person in front of you would not at that time. So they came quietly and asked a person to go. And, uh, and uh, you know, a word of moving to a new location or give them a new job. So they should not be here because they know better than these people go to somewhere else, but they disappear. They never came back. So we all believed, yeah, so he had a better job and so receive a, a, a better care from the government because he's better, but actually he's dead. Yeah. And we discovered the, the mass killing, you know, after the fall of the regime, when we tried to walk back to the home village because we were taken out from the village earlier to work in the rice fields. And we were away from the home village. So we tried to walk back there, but on the trip, on the trip we discovered the killing field. That was shocking at that time. People were expecting in the beginning, you know, walk back there, have some sleep and, and the family, the mother, the father, the kids and everyone would come back to the same spot from the different direction because they were sent out there to work in the rice field in different directions all over Cambodia. So we were not together, but it became so scary when you discovered the killing field with all the dead bodies there with the skeletons and you don't know who is who. Possibly one of the skeletons here is belong to our family member. So people stopped saying anything. They became so quiet. And so they focus on walking 
quietly back to the home village. But arriving there, that's a different story. Either the city or the home village, it was not the same. And the houses were completely burned down. The city looked like a, you know, a primitive city that has been, um, this is like the city that, that has been abandoned by the people thousands of years. And all you could see is the trash. No one was there. It confirmed the family member was not there. And the people try to find somewhere to sleep, just wait. Hopefully, they turn up tomorrow or the next day. But after years of sitting and waiting, it confirmed a lot of families, their members, their beloved one never came back. Never. Wow. So when the numbers of the killing field came out, over 300 killing fields all over Cambodia. And it explained to us, yeah, after years of waiting, definitely we lost them. Yeah. And then we discovered the Genocide Museum. Today we call it the Genocide Museum. So it's a prison camps where all the educated people were taken there, the professors and doctors and students. And after a couple of years, after the regime collapsed, you know, two or three years, we found all of those. We were asked to go in there to identify the pictures of all the prisoners. Again, it was a critical uh, question, should we go or not? A lot of people rather not to go. They, I think they lie to themselves. They, consider their beloved one must be somewhere. Better not. Still say. alive. Yeah, better, yeah, better. Hmm. Well, and the reason that those people had been killed was because they were intellectual. They were, you, know, you basically took all the smart people and all the successful people and got rid of them because they would oppose the government, right? Yeah, so uh, they, they always, had, always, the communists had a plan. So first, um, First, they executed all the military people from the previous government. And then a well-educated one and completely destroyed their education system. So a person without the education, you can easily control him. He doesn't know anything. So that was a smart idea. And the following step executed everyone. So the, the third step, doesn't matter who, young or old, male or female, doesn't matter. They replace them with their new people. What I mean, their new people is the a groups of people that grew up in their time. So the kids and these people, they completely wash the brain, their brainwash. So they don't know anything. And, or you remember I said about what happened to my mother and my father? So yeah, my father, well, yeah, came this, from was, one. this was your origin. The reason you exist was the government's idea of starting a new generation that had no reference, right? I, 
Yeah, I'm one among all those kids who almost, yeah, almost uh, goes through the brainwash. And so when I put my mother and my father together, even they don't know each other. So the third step is absolutely crazy. So put people together and they have to make baby. So it's just like the animal, they call it the animal breeding program. So make yeah, babies. Total strangers, total strangers. And yeah. Mother and the father. Yeah. So, um, they tried to keep a balance that time. So they put uh, 500 or 600 couples once when they have baby and executed 500 people. That's a balance. So oh, I see. No, I hadn't heard that part of the story before. So they tried to keep, replace the population. And once that new batch of babies is born, they get rid of 500 troublemakers. Yep. Yeah. So that's challenges. Well, they needed people to work. They mm -hmm. need a doctor, they need a student, they need a whoever, but it has to be their people, not the, from the previous generation. Gotcha. So yeah. kids are taken there into a, a camps and live together and live together there. That's where they, they brainwash. And yeah, so the three, four, five years old kids. So I'll live in there. And they even had that time, right? They even had that time, right? you know, the, the, uh, the brainwashed kid could kill the mother, could kill the father, even the, the six years old. Wow. Yeah, they did. And this is not a, a new story, so it still happened today. Yeah, well, and that is, the, I, I, that's why I, I can understand you feeling it being very personal what's going on in Afghanistan, because it could. I mean, things like this, if we don't learn from them, and this is why you telling your story is so important, because you're my age, <laughs> and it's like, that could have happened to me. I could have been born in Cambodia, and it's not like this is something from the distant past. This is something very recent in history, so it's just you have such a powerful story because it is that's exactly the point it could happen again right yeah it could it could do you have you do you know anybody who was in the camp with you when you were a child i mean do you now know anybody who grew up grew up with you i remember two and they're still they're still with me today i remember these two the most that because they're twin they were twin Oh, okay. Never twin. And so we, yeah, we knew we came from the same place. Uh, then we met again in orphanage. Yeah. Oh. But they, they had no idea what happened to their mother and their father. Did, yeah, they, so, ever find, did they ever find the mom and dad or no? No, no, never. never until today. So um, you just you got lucky because your grandmother happened to work at the orphanage, so you knew who your parents were. Well, I knew, but then when we met, it turned out I'm the only black person in the family. <laughs> it, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. So it, yeah, it was not one hundred percent correct. It is my father is white. He's Typical Chinese came from the eastern part of Cambodia. My mother came from the village in Siem Reap, from the western part of Siem Reap. Yeah. So they were fast together, they were fast all together, lived together by the regime. 
First, they call it marriage, but it's not married. Basically, you have to live and live together and make baby. So, but it, they did not split up. So even the regime fall and they still live together. So when I met them, I, yeah, I met them. I was like, look into the skin and no one is dark in the family. I'm the only one. I look at my grandmother. Are you sure about the, these are my parents? She said, yes, yes. But tell me, the, the day the regime fall because the Vietnamese attack and trust the communist people, Khmer Rouge, I love Cambodia, I love the country into Thailand, trust them out. So what happened? Uh, yeah, that day everyone ran around, skills and babies and kids and cry, were crying all over the place. So she identified me, I was part of her family. So she grabbed me and ran. Are you sure you grabbed the, the right one? <laughs> oh, wrong one. <laughs> she confirmed, yeah, the right one. Because hundreds of babies there. Yeah. We didn't even put together. I slept with all the babies. Are you sure? Yeah. Do you want to know though? You probably don't even want to know though, right? Yeah, so it doesn't matter. But I just wonder why. Because my brother is so white, my sister, no one is like me. No one. You just tan and, very easily. <laughs> and so it, 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 I become used to it, you know, for the first time, second time, third time, and fourth time, fifth time. When we came out all together, people said, is they from, from the same family? Yeah, from the same No, how? The same, from the same family? So, you know, I become used to it. So, yeah. Uh, you know what? Why question it? You've got a family, and you're one of the very few people who does, probably, from that situation, so... Why question it? You just, yeah, you just have a, a tan complexion. You spend more time in the sun, right? <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the white skins and the dark skin is a really big deal in Cambodia. Oh, all over Asia. And, you know, there's such a funny thing for Americans because it's, you know, you go into the pharmacy in Cambodia and you see skin whiteners. And it just makes me laugh because in the United States, we do the opposite. <laughs> We want to look tan. We want to look like you. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, you know what I said about the Korean in, in Korea, in South Korea, 60% has gone through plastic surgery and uh, people laughed, but that's true. 60%. You always yeah, want they, something you can't have. Like people want to look a certain way, I mean, I like being more tan, I, but I would be naturally very, very pale. So I guess I just need to move to Asia. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very different now. The kids and the new generation in Cambodia or in Asia, in all over Asia. Yeah. So they bleach the skins and they spend all the money on this. Well, and the, the important thing about the new generation that we've talked about before is that, you know, you have this incredible story that you remember, you know, but the kids who are 10 years, 20 years younger than you have never been told these stories, right? So they don't even know. They don't know what yeah. you went through, do they? And I, I demand, you know, to the government, I did, I, I, I used to say to them, to the 
uh, journalists or people from the government, why don't, why don't they put this part of the history into a school program? Learn about it. Yeah. But they don't. And so they never learn about it. They don't know. They don't know anything. Plus, don't talk at home. Because I understand they don't want to talk. Because if they, it, it's so, it's so painful. It's really painful to talk about. So they, yeah, they just don't. Just like my father, because he spent um, his times in the military for so many years, and he disappeared. And by the time he came back, he doesn't want to talk about his military life. Never, never. Mm. But before he goes into the military and after, it was very different. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah, I think he must have gone through a really terrible time when he was in the military. Yeah. And yeah, when I was in the military, when I yeah, when I was 13, yeah, 13. I and I was in schools in the orphanage, and uh it was a government orphanage, government school. So that was the day that we were taken by the traps into the military. That's when the government, they said they needed the soldiers to fight. And the commander said, you guys are old enough to go. But we, we're 13. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, we were taken. Um, but I was lucky that, I thought I was lucky in the beginning because I didn't have to go to the front line to the battlefield. And I, they swapped me to a different track. I got off from the, the green big track to the smaller one. And so then we left to uh, the north direction of Siem Reap. And so they dropped me there. And I realized that was not the, that was not the front line. That was not the a battlefield. That was just a temple complex. So we work as a security got there. So I thought I was lucky. Until I I discovered because of my father who sacrificed, he took my turn. He was the one who goes to the battlefield. He took your frontline service and sent you then to be a security guard at the anchor complex. That's incredible. My father, because the, the agreement with the commander, he took my service and he, you know, he decided to go to war, but the commander promised to set me free, but he never did. Mm. So my father thought I was free and still living in the orphanage and learning in a school there. But I actually was at the temple complex. So, 
Yeah. Well, but do you think that I, I've always wondered about this because you know we you and I've talked about these stories a lot before, and I've always wondered because you were stationed at the temples when you were a you know very young teenager. Uh, do you think that that influenced your choice of what you do now? I mean, did you develop any kind of love of that? Of the were you curious even when you were there about what were these these temples about? What was the whole situation? It kind of changed my mind when I was in there. I was in there. So I, I, as I said earlier, I had a dream of to be a doctor. But even I, I was not a doctor. I never became a doctor, but I was not upset at all. I still enjoy and, and loving my, my job, uh, being a tour guide. I, I fell in love when I was in there. And when you slept in a temple, it, Watching temples early in the morning, there was something spectacular. Watching temples at night, when it, when it blur, when it's dark, you kind of see the shadow of the temple, there was something. And the most beautiful day, the most beautiful night I ever watched a temple, that was under the full moon light. The full moon light, you remember the temples of Bayon? Mm -hmm. The one with the faces, faces of Buddha. Oh, I love the Bayan temples, yeah. Moonlight, that was spectacular. There's something you cannot describe. How peaceful it was, how beautiful it was. So it becomes a, uh, a question. And people when ask, people ask, oh, King, you've been to so many places, so many temples. Which one is your favorite one? I answered them in a second, Bayon. Why? Angkor is, you know, Angkor is amazing. Yeah, I, I, I agree, Angkor is amazing. But that was that because of my time when I was in there, it just made me love this one. I slept there and watching all the festivals. Yeah, that was something. It is magical though. I mean, that is, well, maybe it's because you love it so much. That's why I, I have that feeling as well, that the magic, I mean, that is a magical place. There is something very special about the Bayon Temple. And it, it you know, you, you can also see, see everything at the same time. The spotlight of the full moon on the faces of the, the Buddha on the temple. And the sounds of the animal at night. And once, you know, it, it, it was too loud. You had kind of a shower rain and, and the stone collapsed. You know, one part of the, one part of the corridor, the roof fell. So, and the sound was just really loud. So that's from the nature destroy. I guess it's the crack of the foundation when it's too wet and it, yeah, it's fall apart at part of the, the building. Wow. So that, that the night it, it wake us up with that sound. You could hear, you know, from a distance and thousands of pieces of stone fall at the same time. So, and wow. um, when I wake up, I walk there and say, oh, that, yeah, but that, that was a big part, it fell. And, yeah, but I, I didn't feel good at all. It's like, I don't want this happen. 
Yeah, it's thousand years old. Yeah, it's gonna take a lot of time to fix it. And I don't know just when. Yeah. Um, well, you walk around there. It's not very often that time to see monkey, but I've seen a couple of times running around there. It's not, it's not, it's not like today. Today you have thousands of them. <laughs> yeah, no, I've because seen lots of monkeys around the Bayon Temple. Yeah. What was going on? Yeah. The animal don't see you. The animal what? The, all the animals don't want to see you, don't want oh. to see people. Yeah. Well, when people see them, they become their food. So, yeah, I walked there and I look at that monkey. He's so scared. He looked at me and said, oh, I'm going to be dead. I said, no, I don't eat monkey. <laughs> no, I don't eat monkey. People, people do. People from my team, you know, they ah, roasted monkeys. Like, yeah, oh, no. <laughs> no, I feel monkey is like a human being. No, no way. I'd rather eat. You know the funny things. This is true. And I don't eat monkey because I refuse to eat monkey. I refuse to eat any cute animal. I ending up eating a lizard, a small lizard, and uh, leeches. Leeches. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, is that taste good? No, the leeches taste like rubber band. I imagine. Well, I mean, it's but, not at all the same thing, but I've eaten what, what was it? Stink beetles with you before? We've eaten stink beetle beetles together and crickets, of course. What else have we eaten? We've eaten ants, you and I. Spiders? I think no. we've eaten spiders. Have we eaten spiders? Right. Maybe we I remember uh, you got a, like a variety bag once. <laughs> I, I remember the looks on the faces of our of our group when you took one of the beetles and you started peeling it and you said, oh, it's just better when you peel it. <laughs> oh, it tastes good. What a protein. This is how we survived. Yeah, I know. Well, and people, but people still eat that, you know, and I know everybody watching goes, why would you do that? But that's like a snack in Cambodia and they taste like Doritos, so. Yeah. <laughs> uh and I was finding that when I watch a TV show from the uh, AX, AXN, I think, the TV show, uh, those who could eat uh, uh, cricket, they, I think they receive, they, they, they give away like $500 for one cricket. For one cricket? Yeah, I thought, okay, give me 100, I can do it. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> I want that deal. I'll eat, I'll eat 10 crickets, I'll eat 100 crickets. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I could eat hundred. <laughs> the only oh. thing that you missed it, I think, the rice rat. Rice rats. Yeah, you've told me that you've eaten rats before. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. Okay, I will. Yeah, the barbecue. The barbecue one. Barbecue uh, rat. Everything tastes good with barbecue anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, next time I come to I come to Cambodia, you're having a barbecue, right? <laughs> I'll find you a big one. <laughs> well, just just to like warn everybody, when if you come to Cambodia with me, we do offer you crickets, but we don't serve you rats or monkeys. <laughs> right? Right? You've never served me rat or monkey before, have you? <laughs> Grasshopper is on the menu too. Grasshopper. Well, on ants too. Like that's not a big deal, but yeah.
<laughs> well, my friend, we have been talking for over an hour and uh, I usually only stop at an hour, but you're so incredibly interesting. It's hard to not want to keep talking to you. But here's the thing for those of you that are watching. This is just a taste of how incredibly interesting my Cambodian brother um, Kyung is. So we're going to do more this week, right? You're going to take us out to see a temple, right? Yes. Cool. Yep. All right, so um, on Wednesday evening, so um, this time, six o'clock on Wednesday evening, um, we're gonna, same time, same place, uh, we're going to try it, but you've never done an outdoor virtual live tour, have you? No. No. <laughs> so you, what you have to do is put Zoom onto your phone and then take out your phone. And as long as you've got a good signal, so just choose a temple that's got a, a pretty good cell phone signal. Yeah, and then we can live stream and then you can show us around and people can see you in action. So the other thing is you and I've been talking for years about doing a Cambodia only tour, which we were supposed to do in 2022, but we will do in 2023 and it's gonna be really cool. So I think it's what, 10 days that we've, we're putting together, nine or 10 days. So, um, because every single time that I go and visit with, with Kyung, I always think, I just wanna stay here in Cambodia. There's so much to see and it's so beautiful, especially the beach. You have really good beaches, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I'm a beach girl. I need to turn more brown. That's why I gotta to come to Cambodia. <laughs> Well, we can swap then. Yeah, exactly. So um, everybody, um, thank, thank you so much for tuning in today. And, you know, we're, we will keep talking this week. And you, there's so many stories that my friend Kyung has to tell that I think are just really important to share. Um, so we're going to keep talking to him. Also, um, I will post in a little while a couple of interviews I did with him years ago, actually. They're on YouTube. And you can watch a little bit more uh, about his life story. But we will continue this conversation day after tomorrow, but actually in one of the temples uh, of the Angkor Wat complex. So Angkor Wat is just one temple of 220, right? Yeah, yeah. 200, 226. Wow. A lot. Oh, sorry, I froze. That wasn't you. <laughs> I think it's it's my computer saying that it's uh, it's time for us to end. So thank you so much, my dear friend. You are just an, a treasure. And I'm so happy that we are able to connect this week. And also for those of you watching, we are going to have the virtual tip jar available this week. My friend has not worked in two years. And I would love to support him. And your Patreon support is actually going to help him out this week as well. So Patreon supporters, I am going to be um, sending a little uh, little gift to my friend who is such an incredible tour guide. So uh, please tune in to our Wednesday, and we will give it a shot and see if we can show you around Cambodia a little bit. Big hugs. Mwah. I'll see you in a Thank day you. after tomorrow. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Good night. Mm -hmm.